Well, we've just come through a long, hard winter, at least I think we're through, and uh, it reminded me about three years ago, it was in November and the weather was getting cold and the days were getting shorter and it was dark as I was coming home from work and I was dreading another winter to come. And I said to a friend of mine one evening, I said, you know one thing I really hate about winter? What's that? My feet are always cold. I hate that about winter. He's like, oh, I used to have the same problem. But he said, have you ever tried smart wolves? It's like, no, what's that? He's like, well, my brother lives in Minnesota, and he swears by them. They're socks, they're expensive, but they like really hold to your feet, and they're made of this wool blend that wicks the you know, moisture away from your feet, so your feet feel great all day long. You should get some smart wolves. So I went home based on that story, just that personal story, and spent more money on socks than I've ever spent in my life. <laughs> and you know what? It made my winter better. Buy smart wool. Okay. This week, I was thinking about, I love Mexican food, and I wanted to take uh, Karen and Ann out to a new place. I was kind of tired of the same old Mexican places. So I went on to Yelp, and I found a new place not too far away, Zapatista. Maybe some of you have been there. And I started reading the reviews, and they were all people telling their story. Hey, I came here for a birthday party with 12 of my girlfriends, and the service was really kind of slow, but the food was amazing. Try the Sopacitos. And I was like, what's a Sopacito? So then I read a couple more, and they were like, the service is a little sluggish, but the food's great, you know? So what I did, I moved, I thought, was thinking about a reservation at 6 o'clock on Friday night. I moved it up to 545, so our order would hit the kitchen before the service got slow, and I ordered the Sopacitos. And you know what? They're great. Go try them. Okay, the power of a personal story is so compelling. It's more compelling than a slickly produced commercial. It's more compelling than a celebrity endorsement. Just one person saying, I tried it, it works. Now why is it we can talk freely about socks, we can talk freely about sopacitos, and we can't talk freely about a savior? Hello? And I'm in the same boat. I get in that conversation and I'm sensing some relational pushback and I'm sensing they're not celebrating that Jesus is at work in my life and I don't know what to say sometimes. I get a little tongue-tied, I get a little awkward and I skirt the conversation. Anybody been there? I want to give you this morning more confidence than you've ever had to tell your story of what Jesus has done for you. I want to give you more simplicity. Just make it so simple that you can do it. I can do it. I want to give you freedom. I want to look at the scriptures this morning with you until you become more free than you've ever been to just simply tell your honest story about Jesus' work in your life. Let's look at this together. We're going to learn from a person who knew next to nothing about Jesus. He didn't have a theological background. He didn't have a philosophical background, but he knew how to tell his story. And let's learn from him. His name is not even given in the Bible, and I wonder if that's so every one of us puts our name in his place. And I want you to put yourself in his position as we walk through this. John 9, verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw. He saw a man. He saw a man who had been blind from birth. Now, To be blind in Jesus' time was not like today. It was far more desperate. For four years, Karen and I drove up to Glenview every Sunday morning to go to church. And just about every single Sunday, we would stop on the way in Park Ridge and pick up a man named Andre, 
who was blind and needed, therefore, a ride to go to church. And so Andre would hop in the car. Well, Andre, though blind, had graduated from Northwestern University. He was brilliant. And he had a special Braille keyboard, so he was actually more engaged online in contemporary thought than I am. And he loved politics, and he actually hosted on a recording kind of mini studio there in his home political talk radio shows that were broadcast across the country. And in fact, if Andre couldn't get me stirred up and agitated about some political matter by the time we got to church, it was a bad Sunday morning for him. So he has so many resources, but in Jesus' day, to be blind, you have none. There's no society for the blind. There's no guide dogs. There's no braille. You sit in the dirt and you beg. You sit there with a, with a dirt kind of uh, vase and hope that somebody will throw you a bone. They'll throw a coin in your cup. You're humiliated. People walk by you. They literally look down on you. Sometimes they step on you. That's your life. And it says, Jesus sees him. He can't see Jesus Jesus can see him. Do you know right now, you're like, can Jesus see me? Does he know who I am? Does he know my situation? He sees you. You can't see him, but he can see you. That's the start of your story. And you go, well, if he sees me, why is this happening? Verse 2, the disciples had the same question. Rabbi, teacher, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins? His parents' sins? The rabbis taught there is no death without sin. And there's no suffering without iniquity. In other words, they taught that there was a direct one-to-one correspondence between your suffering and your sin that happened shortly before that. Do you see that? And this one, though, is a tricky theological nut to crack. It's kind of a hard case because this guy was blinded from the day he was born before he had time to get into trouble and go sin like all the rest of us. So maybe it wasn't his sins. Maybe it, was, it backs upstream to his parents. Maybe his mother did something horrible during pregnancy. And that's why. Let's look at what Jesus says because this kind of thinking seeps into Christianity too. I, I, it's not unusual for someone to find his or her way to my office and say, I've had this bad happen and this bad happen and this bad happen and I'm wondering, what did I do wrong? Most of the time, the answer is nothing. And here Jesus says, it wasn't because of his sins. It wasn't his parents' sins. I don't blame the victim. You know how I see this? This is an opportunity for the power of God to be seen in him. Instead of blame the victim, it's a big opportunity for God if we'll do the work that we've been given to do. Do you know that God is not against you? He's for you. He's for you. Verse 6, Then Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. You ever wonder why this? Why this way? And this is a little out there, right? You spit in the dirt, you make mud, rub it on the man's eyes, you tell him to go. So I, I read somewhere between, I don't know, six and ten commentators from across the centuries about this, and I read about six to ten different answers. <laughs> so I figure if they have the right to speculate, so do I. Here's one possibility. 
Jesus heals a lot of blind people, and in almost every single case, he touches them. He touches them. He doesn't stand at a distance and say, be healed. Because touch is acute for the person who's blind. Touch is meaningful. It's the sense you use to validate. You're like, am I at the wall? Oh, yeah, there. I can feel the wall. Now I know that the wall, which I thought was coming, is here. And Jesus touches him in a way that means something to him. And why did he send him to the pool? Some, some commentators with, without the right heart, as they approach the text, have even said, was this cruel? You send a blind man to stumble between a quarter and a half a mile to go to this pool, unable to see his way there? No. Here's a man who's been sitting in the dirt his adult life. No one thinks he can do anything. And this has been going on for so long that now he doesn't think he can do anything either. And Jesus says, I don't look at you that way. I am powering you. I'm going to bring you in and actually help you be part of this healing in your life. You can do it. And he does. And Jesus knows every step that he takes toward that pool, his faith is going to grow. And he comes back seeing seeing. What have we learned so far? Jesus sees you. He's for you. And he knows how to touch you in a way that's meaningful for you. I was reading a story by a guy named Jim Peterson. Jim said that he had met this guy from Latin America named Mario. Mario. And Mario was an intellectual, a Marxist intellectual, very bright and very familiar with all the Western philosophers, and he wanted to discuss them. He wanted to talk about Nietzsche and all that. And so Jim said, well, why don't, why don't we start getting together every week, and we'll read the Bible together, and we'll discuss philosophy. So they started. They did that every week for four years. And then Mario became a Christian. And one day after that, he said to Jim, Jim, you know what it was that made me decide to become a Christian? Jim's like, I don't know. We met every week for four years. You know, I have no idea. He said, it was the first time I came to your house. I came over because we were going to go somewhere together, and we were running a little late, and you said, why don't you come in and have some soup with my family? And Jim's like, oh, I remember because my kids were acting so bad that night, and I was so embarrassed that they would act up when we had this first-time guest in our home, and I had to step in and actually correct them in front of you, and I was so frustrated about that. And Mario says, yeah, well, I sat there, and I watched how you and your wife and your kids all related to one another, and I thought to myself, when will I ever have a relationship like that with my fiance. And I knew the answer was never. And I decided that day I needed to become a Christian for the sake of my own survival. That was when. Do you see how Jesus knows how to touch this man? Yeah, he's a Marxist intellectual and a philosopher. He needs to touch him with four years of weekly discussion around that. But he knows even before that and even deeper than that, more primal than that is, he's a man a man who wants a better relationship with his fiancée and doesn't even know how that could be possible. And he touches him right there. Jesus knows how to touch you and heal you and change your life in a way that means something to you. Now, this healing, uh, next to raising the dead, is there a healing more 
astonishing than this to create an optic nerve out of dirt and spit? You'd think there would be massive celebration, but instead there's interrogation. Verse 13. They took the man who'd been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath, when you're not supposed to work, that Jesus had worked by making the mud and healing him. So some of the Pharisees, verse 16, said, This man, Jesus, is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? Okay, so there's two ways of looking at what Jesus has just done. The first way, which ends up prevailing among the Pharisees, is this. Number one, anyone who would knowingly and willingly violate the clear and direct commandment of God is a sinner. It's not like the Sabbath is some obscure commandment that he couldn't be possibly aware of. It's chiseled into the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Jesus directly and willingly violated one of the direct commandments of God, therefore he's a sinner. You see that? Blind man has a different logic. Here's what he says. Jesus healed me. No one could heal somebody who's blind unless they had the dramatic power and presence of God in their life. Therefore, Jesus is from God. Now you have to ask, don't you? You go, what would happen to somebody that their mindset would become so sort of fixed and hardened that they miss What is the central fact of this case that's in front of them? A guy who was born blind can now see 2020. Wouldn't that be more compelling than any other subpoint, subtext, evidence? Why can't they get that? I think the answer is if you start to credit Jesus with what he's doing, if you start to enter into that and celebrate that and open yourself to that, then you're going to have to listen to him. And then he's going to take you to places you didn't want to go, which are going to include some price of social rejection. And these Pharisees know how they're treating the disciples, and they don't want to be on the receiving end of that. And you know what's most tragic about this? is not even them. It's this guy's parents. The parents who should be running around with their hands in the air going, oh, thank you, God. Do you know what it's like to realize when you're looking in the eyes of your infant son that he can't see you and he'll never see you? And now that's done. Do you know what it's like to carry the shame and the sense that it was my sin that caused that and to get that broken off of me forever? Thank God Jesus is from God. That's what they should be saying. And instead they go, we have no idea how this happened. They can't tell their story. You will not be able to tell your story about Jesus until you are willing to accept some relational pushback and some social rejection. Tell your story. Now, what's your story? And this is the heart of this text, verse 24. Second time, they called in the man who'd been blind, and they told him, God should get the glory for this. This is an ancient Hebrew idiom that they used in court. Give God the glory. It meant Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? We know that Jesus is a sinner. When are you finally going to tell the truth that that's the case? And here's what he answers. I don't know whether he's a sinner. I'm not going to get into your theological games. I can't outsmart you guys. You've got a whole crowd of litigious, very smart people. But here's what I know. I once was blind, and now I can see. See, what you know about Jesus, you think you know. What I know about Jesus, I know I know. 
I know what it's like to sit in the dirt, and I know what it's like to see 2020, and I'm telling you, that's what he did for me. That's your story. What's your story of how Jesus touched your life? It's going to have those same two parts. My weakness, I once was blind, and his strength, and now I can see. That's your story. And when you tell that story simply, honestly, it doesn't have to be long, it doesn't have to be theological, it doesn't have to be philosophical, it is irrefutable. They may dismiss you, but they can't deny the truth of your story. Tell your story. Verse 34, you were born a total sinner, they answered, using the theology that Jesus has just forever discredited. And they throw him out of the synagogue, but look what happens. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man. He found the man. Your friends may kick you out. Jesus says, I never will. You may lose the synagogue, but you're going to find me. And I'm better than that. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? The blind man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Jesus says, you've seen him. And he's speaking to you. you, Doesn't the voice sound familiar? It said, go and wash. Do you see these hands? These are the ones that were on your eyes in an intimate touch, putting mud on your eyes. I'm the one. Yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. He came from knowing nothing. He started out saying, the man called Jesus. And then he moved to, well, he's a prophet. And then he said he's from God. And now he can see spiritually. And he knows Jesus is way more from God. He's God here. Because nobody could do this except for him. Now, so what? What does this mean for you and for me? I guess it depends whether you're the blind man at the beginning of the story and that's where you are in your life, or whether you're more like the blind man in the middle of the story, and that's where you are this morning. Let me say what I mean. At the beginning of the story, this blind man cannot see Jesus, but Jesus sees him. Some of you, you're here this morning, you're open to Jesus. That's why you're here. You felt his touch even. But your spiritual eyes, if you were honest, have not fully been opened. You haven't been able to say without reservation, I believe and worship him. And I'm here to say, even if you can't see Jesus, he sees you. He knows what's going on in your life, and he's calling you. And he's saying, I have a life change for you. Will you be part of it? Will you get up? Will you take the risk? And will you go to the pool? Will you stumble your way there with mud on your eyes and get that washed off until you see me? Some of you, this very morning, this is happening for you. I sense it in the Spirit. You can right even now where you're sitting say, Jesus, I believe. Lord, I believe. I'm coming to you. Wash the mud off my eyes so I can see you more fully and worship you more fully. If you're like the blind man at the beginning of the story, He sees you. Now I know a lot of us may be here, we have seen him, praise God. And we have a story to tell, but we're not confident about that. We're not free in that. We don't have the power to just somehow do that and tell that simple story. So here's here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to tell your story. I want you to actually write it down before you go to bed tonight. You can try it orally over lunch today if you want to do that. Or you can take your bulletin and before you fall asleep, stay in and write your story. Now, here's what I'm going to recommend. Is you write it really short. It's going to be your Twitter testimony. Okay? 140 characters. Or less. And it's got two parts. My weakness. I once was blind and his strength, I can see. I tried doing this. It took me about three tries to crunch it all into 140 characters. Here's how it went. Just give you mine as an example. Lonely teen, hurt by fickle loyalty of some friends, finds true friend who will never leave. Bonus, gets purpose to live for and power to love. 140 characters. That's my story. Jesus did that for me. Won't it be great when you get clear about your story? It's so simple. It's so clear. It's so compelling that when you're getting out of a car at the airport and somebody says something, you turn around and can give them the story. When you're in an elevator and you've only got five floors, you can tell them your story. Somebody says an offhanded comment at the bar or the restaurant, you tell them your story. You don't have to outthink them. You don't have to outsmart them. You just tell them what Jesus did for you. I once was lost. I once was blind. Oh, but now I can see. Amen.